The scripture reading is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, whole chapter 5 up to chapter 6, verse 2, and can be found on page 1193 in the Pew Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 5. It's headed advice about widows, elders and slaves. Do not, re- do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exalt him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts a hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions too, so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60 and has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of those, I, um, of those sorry. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things they not, ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and give to the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Jesus Christ and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favouritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water, and use a little wine, 
because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and to urge on them. At um, the school here in Long Crendon this week, they devoted a day to Values Day and various uh, pillars of the community, like uh, Helen Walker and uh, Isabel Warner, were invited to go along and meet up with groups of children from the school and discuss which of the the 22 or so values of the school uh, they felt were most important. And uh, I asked one of our children what they thought was the most important value, just to see what reaction we would get. And I must admit, I didn't really expect an answer from him, but um, the answer did come back, um, respect. And uh, I tried to get him to sort of justify that a little bit, but... Uh, by asking him why he felt respect, for example, is more important than, than kindness. You know, can you be respectful but not kind? Or can you be kind but not respectful? Anyway, I was <laughs> interested in the, the thinking behind his, his, his response. But I'm also interested in the, the attitude that society has to respect today. I don't know whether you know that the government has a website which is called www.respect.gov.uk, devoted to tackling antisocial behaviour. Although the FA, the Football Association, has a programme called Respect to combat some acceptable behaviour in the game of football, both on the pitch and on the sidelines. A lack of respect is sadly a, a growing problem in today's society. Even when I was there, a young person, which is not that long ago, there was always already a growing lack of respect for those in authority. I remember the, the whole punk movement, which was a, a reaction almost against those in authority. I remember programmes, comedy programmes, I'm sure many of you will remember them, like Spitting Image, that ridiculed the royal family, ridiculed politicians, and became almost the norm to, to ridicule and show a lack of respect for those in authority. Now, if people today see this, this lack of respect towards other members of society as one of the big issues uh, that we have today, you can ask yourself, what does the church have to say about it? Is it something that we should be concerned about? Well, the answer the Bible gives as we turn to this letter to Timothy is a definite yes, because respect is a key theme in a passage that Alan read out for us earlier on. And before we just dive into to, to a one-off sermon like this, which doesn't form part of a series, it's always good to know what the, the purpose of this letter is. And we find that in, the, uh, in chapter 3, in fact. If you just look over the page to chapter 3, verse 14, Paul there writes to Timothy, writes, Although I hope to come to you soon, 
I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, then he says, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. This letter here is all about the church, how the people of God uh, should conduct themselves. And the reason that that is so important is because the church, it says, it belongs to the living God. It is the pillar, the foundation of the truth. And therefore, people's perception of the church will directly affect their perception of God. If the church is meant to represent truth and love, and people just see hypocrisy and disrespect, then people will be turned off from God. How we relate to each other within the church and outside the church is immensely important. So what does this passage then have to say about respect? Well, the word is introduced there in verse 3. There it's translated as give proper recognition to. And really that is what respect is all about, isn't it? Recognising the worth of someone. How often do we hear of relationship problems caused by somebody feeling that they haven't been properly recognised? Maybe in a marriage, maybe in the workplace, maybe just in their position within society. No recognition has been given to them. But if we begin to understand the importance that God attaches to the people that he has created then hopefully we will find it more easy to show honour or respect to them. The challenge, the difficult thing I think about, about showing respect to others is that we are to show it to all people irrespective of whether they are similar to us or different from us. And in this passage we sort of show respect to four groups of people. And we've got a lot of material to cover this evening, but um, I'm not going to be able to do it in too much detail, but I just want to, to highlight those four different groups that are, are mentioned here in this passage. The first in verses 1 and 2 is showing respect to those of a different age or a different sex. Uh, then we get into showing respect to those in need, particularly the widows it mentions here. Uh, it moves on to showing respect to elders or leaders. And then finally showing respect to those of a different social status. Well, let's start with the first of those, verses 1 and 2. So, in respect to those of a different age or a different sex. Social structures do change from time to time, from place to place. We heard from Judy earlier about the difference between the social structures here and in Ghana. And there's been a marked change in this country, I think, over probably the past 50 years or so. If you think about it, people are, are living longer. Older people are both physically and financially more able to, to live on their own or in homes for the, for the elderly. And younger people are more mobile, they're more independent. And so it's less likely today for the two or three generations of the same family to live in the same town, let alone the same house. And the result of that is, is often that you have this, this so-called generation gap. The, 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 the idea that older people will look down on those younger themselves as, as being maybe naive, being inexperienced, not really knowing what they are talking about. And in the opposite direction, younger people may look at older people and think, well, they're, they're, they're out of touch. They have nothing meaningful to contribute to, 
to those who are still with it, to society today. It has moved on from where they are at. So what does it say then here about the relationships between these two generations? Well, the first instruction is there in verse 1. It says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Now this is a, a particular instruction to Timothy. Timothy was in a position as overseer of, of, of a group of churches and he may have had need to rebuke an older person for his conduct. Now we, we don't know why he may have had to do that. Maybe it was because that, that older person had been ungracious, maybe condescending in his attitude towards a younger person. But Paul says to Timothy, don't rebuke him harshly, he says. But exhort him or encourage him as you would a father. I wonder if we think of older people, uh, older men, as our fathers within the church. If it's a younger person that needs rebuking, well, the first continues, treat younger men as brothers. Treat younger men as brothers, that idea of brotherly love. And I'm not sure that our boys would be great models for brotherly love when I look at them sometimes, but I think what he's saying here is treat them like a younger brother. Make allowances for the fact that they're not as experienced as you. They're, they're not as mature as you are. They will make mistakes. The, the, the passage continues to uh, making corresponding commands to treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. And then it adds to the end there of verse 2 the the words with absolute purity. And again this is a particular instruction to Timothy he's in a position of leadership and it's telling him to show clear integrity in all your dealings with those of the opposite sex in case you succumb to sin and temptation and the reputation of the church is damaged as a result of that. But it also applies I think to, to all men in the church it's saying be careful in your relationship with your sisters in Christ because of the potential there may be for misunderstanding and hurt. And it's not surprising when you read uh, Titus there as well in, in the previous letter um, how Paul writes about the instruction of younger women being carried out by older women. There is a, an important role that older women can play in that. But of course in order for them to be able to play that role then younger women need to be able to accept the instruction that older women can bring them. Well, this age and, uh, and sex thing is a big area and we could spend more time on it, but let me just leave you with the thought that outside of the family, there are fewer and fewer situations, I think, in society today where all ages come together. And the church here, I think, has a, a very special opportunity to provide a model to the rest of society of how an integrated family can work well. And we do need to work harder at that. Certainly, separating children's work and youth work from the rest of the church is not the answer. Well, the second uh, category is showing respect to the needy, and in particular, widows. The Bible has much to say about the needy, and uh, in biblical times, widows and orphans characterise those in particular need. Throughout the the Old Testament, God is portrayed as the provider, as the protector of the needy. Psalm 68 describes God as father to the fatherless and defender of widows. 
In Psalm 14 is described as the refuge of the poor. And Jesus obviously showed particular concern for those in need. He, in Matthew 12, he warns the disciples against the scribes, it says, who devoured widows' houses. So, if that is how God is, then of course we as his people should show the same love and concern. And, and verse 3 here says, give proper recognition, give respect to those widows who really are really in need. Then we have uh, some very detailed instructions as to when widows should and shouldn't be provided for by the church. And this was written uh, at a time when there were no state handouts, there were no pensions, no life insurance schemes to be cashed in. And widowhood meant not just that you lost your your husband, but that you lost your your entire means of support. And the first call for support for such people was the family, children or grandchildren who care for their own family. It says here in in verse 4, were putting their religion into practice. In verse 8, some quite strong words, it says there, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So what lessons should we take away from this section? After all, we live in a a society where we can rely on social security, where, as we said earlier, older people are better off than they were many years ago. So how relevant is this passage? Well, I think there are lessons here based for the provider of support, the carer, as well as the one being cared for in terms of showing respect. For the provider or the carer, there's, there is a strong emphasis here, isn't there, on the importance of the family. It is a, a, a divinely ordained unit. It's, uh, it is one that provides care, nurture, protection. And that is why God created families, because he knew that that was the best environment in which uh, children can be raised. And he must despair when he looks at the current situation with so many dysfunctional families. But Paul gives um, four clear reasons here why it is important to care for the family. Verse 4 provides a way for children to repay parents and grandparents who provided for them when they were young. It's pleasing to God. It avoids burdening the church, which is then not able to care for those who are really in need. And as I read out those strong words, not to care is to deny the faith. In other words, it's a very strong witness to those outside the church of the love of God that is at work in us. And as, as many of you know, and many of you are already doing, even if our parents, our grandparents don't need our financial support, they will often need our support in many other ways. Uh, to spend time with them, to, to visit them, uh, to encourage them spiritually. To, to, to show them that they still have a very important role to, to play, particularly in praying for, particularly in, in taking an interest in the life of the church. But there are also some, some caveats in here, aren't there, in this passage. As a provider, we're also meant to be quite discerning in the way in which we do help. It's, it's warning us here that we should care in a way that doesn't encourage dependency or laziness or independence from God. In his instructions here to Timothy, Paul doesn't just expect widows to sponge off those who have plenty. 
It says, firstly here, the widow should really be in need and left all alone. And secondly, the widow should put her hope in God. She should pray day and night to ask God for help. In other words, although the provision may come from the family, to recognise that ultimately that provision is coming from God and to thank God for that. The church's obligation to help those in need should fall on those who are really in need. And the danger of supporting those who are not really in need as it says in here in the case of, of the younger widows, is that it encourages laziness. As there are warnings here. If their physical needs are taken care of by the church, they may have time to, to indulge themselves, to live self-centred lives. And because of their age and immaturity, it says here, they are saying things they ought not to. Not a serious sin, you may think, a bit of uh, you know, gossiping, but that may lead to more extreme consequences that they stray from their faith and as it says in verse 15 some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan warnings to the provider what about the the recipient though of of support of care well if we are a recipient and uh, that is the case of of those uh, within our our church uh, family may not be here this evening but we shouldn't take the support of our families for granted. Now, that would be not showing respect to those who are caring for us. We shouldn't be demanding. We shouldn't insist on um, our independence when that can actually mean a greater burden for our family providing support. We need to respect those who are giving us the support. Well, the third group of those that are mentioned here who are worthy of respect are elders. It's a bit awkward here as an elder of the church teaching about how members of the church should uh, show respect towards elders. But um, just to say here simply what the text says without bringing any hidden agenda to it, what are the ways Paul mentions in which respect should be shown towards elders? Well, verse 17 says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And then he backs that up as he carries on. He says, uh, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. In other words, if the leader of the church is uh, serving Christ effectively and wholeheartedly, don't frustrate those efforts or that ministry through lack of financial support. You know, it's tragic, isn't it, when churches have to lay off staff because of a result of, because of, of a lack of funds. And then the second point, which really backs up the first, is, is quite simple, comes from Jesus' own words, where he says the worker deserves his wages. In other words, someone who's in full-time ministry deserves to be paid for his work, just as anybody else in secular work does. Now, I would just like to say, I think this is a principle the church here has taken on board very well, and I, I'm certainly grateful, I'm sure Jeff and Paddy are, for the support of the church, of the, the treasurer here, and all the members in uh, providing for us. And I just hope you feel you're getting value for money. Financial financial support. The second way to show respect towards an elder is there in verse 18 now. It goes on. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. I think Paul's instruction here is designed to protect elders from malicious 
or unsubstantiated accusations. And again, I'm not saying that this has happened here. Uh, to my experience, only while I've been here, I don't know what has happened in the past. But um, Calvin once uh, quite wisely pointed out that none are more exposed to slanders and insults than godly teachers. And John Stott also said, the enemies of the gospel often take vengeance on the ministers of the gospel. And sadly, it is the case that in in many churches, um, much of the criticism that elders receive comes from within the church rather than from outside the church. There will be, of course, occasions when accusations against elders are perfectly legitimate. And uh, verse 20 refers to that situation. Those who sin, it says there, or those who persist in sin, those who have been found guilty of persistent sin or refuse to repent of it. They should be publicly rebuked, uh, but as a last resort. And it's a constructive approach. It should act as a warning to, to elders and a reminder of their accountability and hopefully would lead to, to repentance. And because of this, this very important position of an, uh, an elder, after all the spiritual health of the church uh, very much depends on the strength of the leadership team, uh, Paul warns Timothy here, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and to share, do not share in the sins of others. Because whilst the sins of some are quite clear before you appoint them, for others they are less obvious. It may only become transparent at a later stage when it is too late and damage has been done. So respect for elders. And finally, the, the group to which uh, Paul instructs Timothy to show respect to the end is those uh, here in chapter 6. What I would say is those in authority. I think one of the objections that's occasionally made against the Christianity is that it implicitly condones slavery. After all, it doesn't speak out against slavery. It doesn't say to slaves, look, reject your masters and, and make a run from it. Try and gain your freedom. Well, what I'd say here firstly is that slavery in the first century was very different from the, the, uh, the images we may have of slavery in the 18th and 19th centuries, uh, which Christians such as Wilberforce and, and John Newton took great efforts to, to abolish. There in the first century, um, slave owners generally did show respect to their slaves um, and they were often taken as spoils of war. The slaves could often marry, accumulate wealth, they could um, purchase their own freedom and many were released within seven or so years. But the point I think Paul is making here, and if we try and relate that to our situation today, is that whatever social situation we may find ourselves in, and you may find yourself in what you think is an unfair situation, you know, maybe at work for example, you think you have more experience, more gifting than your boss and yet you have to, to do what he says. You have to respect him. And Paul is saying you should still respect him. And that is also the case, he's saying, if they are Christians as well. Don't think that, you know, just because you have a Christian boss and you are equal before God, um, that you no longer have to show them full respect. He's saying, actually, you should be serving them even better but surely you'd want to do all you can for a fellow Christian. It's not just an obligation, but an act of kindness, he's saying here. And if we think of it, our ultimate model um, is Jesus Christ. You know, he was uh, uh, one with the Father. 
He's equal in his divine being with the Father, and yet he was obedient to the Father as he took the role of a humble servant and died for us sinners. Well, as I um, come to a, a conclusion on this, this quite lengthy passage, but um, quite important passage, I think, in terms of this, this value of respect today, um, it is a key theme here running through these, these verses, um, how we recognise the true worth of another person, how we treat them as a brother or a sister in Christ, um, whether they are in need, whether they are somebody in leadership in the church or somebody who has a different position in society. All of these people deserve to be treated with respect and honour. And um, <clears throat> as I finish, I do want to make clear, particularly for, for someone here this evening who may not yeah, yet be a believer, who may think that um, you know, what I'm doing here is simply a, a similar campaign to the government or the football association, you know, just show them more respect. That's all you need to do and that will solve all of our problems. Actually, the only way that it will make a real and lasting difference if that respect that we show to others is prompted by a love for God. I just want to leave you um, with some words which, uh, it's actually a newspaper article I read before Christmas. Um, <coughs> some of you may have read it, it's from the Times by a, uh, a columnist called Matthew Paris very uh, confirmed atheist. But it's a fascinating article, because before Christmas he went back to Malawi for the first time in 45 years. And what he recognised there was a difference between the social work being performed by all these NGOs that are out there who are doing a good job, and that being performed by Christian missionary agencies. The, the headline of this, this article was, As an Atheist... I truly believe Africa needs God. That's, that's an amazing uh, headline, isn't it? Let me just uh, read some extracts from that. Now a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. Sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects and international aid efforts, these alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. So this carries on later on. Faith does more than support the missionary. It is also transferred to his flock. This is the effect that matters so immensely and which I cannot help observing. And he talks about uh, the fact that he had friends who were missionaries and as a child he often stayed with them. He says, uh, um, I stayed alone with my little brother in a traditional rural African village. In the city we had working for us Africans who had converted and were strong believers. And he says the Christians were always different. Far from having cowed or confined its converts, their faith appeared to have liberated and relaxed them. There was a liveliness, a curiosity, an engagement with the world, a directness in their dealings with others that seemed to be missing in traditional African life. They stood tall. That's a wonderful, isn't it, encouragement of the impact that we can make if we live out Christian lives, showing respect for each other.